we are pretty committed to when you have a question about things, students, these are the people you can talk to about it, your parents, your religious leaders, like your community. So we can use that to talk about it in a way that I think is super respectful. You know, once we tell families that, I, I think they're right on board with it. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman, and this is officially our one-year podcast anniversary. So thanks for coming along. Before we kick off this episode, we have some additional exciting news. Our podcast can now be found on Spotify, so let your Spotify friends know. Student health and well-being is a priority for all educators, and we have a couple topic experts today. TSBVI social worker Michael Klinkscales comes to us with decades of experience at TSBVI and working with students who have visual impairment and also can speak about their unique social-emotional needs, including access to our human sexuality instruction. Michael is sharing how TSBVI meets those needs and also how he came to be a longtime employee of our school. My social work training and role has helped me with my own children because, (laughs) you know, I have special needs kids, and that's ADHD, Mm -hmm. but still, these are kids who are adopted through CPS, and I tell you what, often I am being a social worker at home versus my dad voice. Yeah. I'm like, oh, the dad voice is not going to work in this situation. (laughs) (laughs) I need to be the social worker and use that calm voice. And does it work for you? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it really does. Uh Because that's sometimes what they need. They come from trauma. And um, sometimes that's what they need is that kind of a dad. I really love running groups with students. I love working with students. That's my favorite thing is working with groups. Mm -hmm. All of us love what we're good at, and I'm good at that. Yeah. Um, It doesn't, I don't have any of that that stuff that some social workers have, but I don't like to talk in front of a group. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe because I was going to be a teacher. That's just in my wheelhouse. I love it. I get to go in and talk about some really interesting things. Mm-hmm. So one of my roles here is as this one of the sex ed coordinators. There mm-hmm. are two of us, the health teacher and myself. Those are really interesting topics. Yeah. And we talk about everything, not just reproduction, but relationships and consent. And the students have so much to say about that, to think about that, mm-hmm. that those are great conversations to help facilitate. From your perspective as a social worker, what are the, what's the toughest thing for our kids? When they go back to their public school, because they don't stay here forever, it's isolation. Because they come here and suddenly it's an even playing field. And, you know, everybody has a visual impairment of some kind. And that's really unique, you know. All the students come in saying, you know, that idea that someone's put their hand up and waved their fingers in their face and said, how many fingers am I holding up? Yeah. Has happened to every kid that comes to our campus. And they're so tired of that. When they go back, they're they're going back to that, mm-hmm. and so it's that uh, a shock of oh yeah, this is what it was like. I'm more isolated here. It's not an even playing field, and I think that's really hard for our students. But just coming here, I think, can be hard for some students because 
you're away from home. Mm -hmm. We have a few day students, but mostly we have students who stay here at night. And that's really, really hard. Is it even possible to spend enough time teaching them sort of coping strategies for going back to their home districts and being isolated again? There's just not enough time in the day. But I do think we try to teach that. And really just the self-confidence that being here and becoming successful in school mm -hmm. um, can be unique for our students. Like that's the first time they've experienced that in a, in a big way that that, I think, helps prepare them for, um, for going back mm -hmm. and having to deal with all that stuff again. When friends come here, or when kids come here, if they have friends back home, do they usually stay in touch, or is that a hard thing they go through as well? I, I think that's, that's a hard thing for them, mm -hmm. um, because partly because they're making so many new friends here yeah. that, you know, out of sight, out of mind. But because they do get to go back in the summer mm -hmm. and, you know, on the weekends and holidays, that there's that possibility to keep those friendships going. Yeah. And I think that would be a great thing for the TVIs on the community to do is to remember to invite that student that's going to TSBVI to whatever activities they're doing. They're, they yeah. must have um, times when they're doing a prom or some other activity that they know their students are going to, mm -hmm. and they should invite ours you know along with that yeah that's a really good point because I think even though the districts stay involved with the child's educational program when they come here I bet it's easy to forget that they're they are home on the weekends and uh -huh. during the long breaks and in the summer and yeah making sure they get those um keep those connections mm -hmm. and you know I'm not sure that they really do that for other students but this is a unique situation yeah. Yeah. and maybe they can kind of arrange some type of you know, get together or party or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. One of the things I I think about a lot is how do we give our kids agency to go back and lead their own lives and empowering them to mm -hmm. make their own choices. And all of this is part of that, like feeling empowered to to be yourself when you may feel isolated and to make your right. own choices. And it's super hard because they come here and they fall in love with being here. Some of them have friends for the very first time here. Mm -hmm. And then the district, the families, we are all saying, but you have to go back. Yeah. And that's really hard. There's like this balance between a safe environment to mm -hmm. become empowered, to find your own way, to, to be yourself, and then knowing that the world isn't this it's not like this. Right. So having to sort of then generalize that back into society where, mm -hmm. you know, you go to college, you get a job, you're in a community. And and when you're in public school, everything is kind of guaranteed to you. You have to get those services. And then you go to college and it's kind of like, well, you kind of got to ask for everything. Yeah. You know, they're that's not going to provide it. Yeah. It's a whole different level mm -hmm. of, of what our students have to go through. So before you came to TSBVI, mm -hmm. did you work with any kids that were blind? I went to school and studied psychology and got into education as a TA for a long time at a school um, for students with special needs, multiply impaired children. And then I decided that I would go back to school and become a teacher. And so I got all the way up to right before my student teaching and I thought, well, I'm just going to get my master's instead. And I got my master's in social work. I um, worked at a school in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh. That was for all special needs, multiply impaired students. And we had one blind student. And um, it was a little boy. He was a little boy. And so I was the TA assigned to work with him. And so when I came here and interviewed, I was the only social worker that had ever worked with oh, really? blind students before. Wow. So, and it was just one. It was it just was one. Put you over the top. But yeah, put me over the top. 
over the top. So did you move to Austin to work at TSBVI or were you already here? I was already here, but because when I was in grad school, I came to visit some friends. My grandparents lived in Austin when, uh, before I was born. So I'm, you know, I was aware of the whole area, but I came with friends during grad school in the winter. Oh, and so Kalamazoo is very cold. (laughs) And so I was sold and I moved down here. And before I moved, I had applied to TSBVI and they caught up with me and interviewed me after I'd been here for like three or four months. I got hired here, I think, because I had all this experience in education already. I had been a TA. I had worked with blind students as a TA and um, was pretty close to being a teacher when um, I decided to make that change. So I worked here in Austin, a couple different places before I landed here at TSBVI. Now, you know, I'm part of this multidisciplinary team that works like with all the students on campus, all different age ranges from first grade on up to exit program. And how long have you worked at TSBVI? 27 years. Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) Yes, long time. You look like you're like 25. I am. Okay, well, well played. (laughs) I don't know how that happened, yeah. (laughs) Why did you decide not to do your student teaching? Like, what was the big shift? So I'll tell you my big shift, and you're going to edit this part out, is because, (laughs) um, so I'm gay, surprise, and the professor who was heading up the special ed department didn't like that and treated me badly. In fact, other people kept coming to me and saying, like, what is his problem? with you and um, often would kind of call me out and tell me I was dressing like a girl or just weird things like you put your belt on like a girl because we were doing this behavioral thing of this is how you put on a belt let's break it down oh Michael puts his on like a girl and I was like I can't I can't do this of course you know that was what 1990 or whatever it was 89 90 and so it was just a kind of a different world and I thought I just can't do this Mm -hmm. and I had um had really good experiences with school social workers at that school that I was a TA at yeah and I thought well that's great I can still work with kids in a school setting and Mm -hmm. I'll do this yeah so that's what I did so now you yeah. said uh, you're probably going to edit this out. Did you say that because you think we're going to edit it out? Because I, you want us to edit no, it out. No, because I think you will. Oh, just cause, you interesting. Know. I mean, that's that's not a happy thing that happened to me that I left a department because but it's of prejudice. A, but I think it's an important <clears throat> story. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it's not unique. So. Right. And it's old at this point. I mean, really. I, I hope so. But <laughs> hoping. But yeah. that was a long time ago. Yeah. And even the social work department was like in the same wing of the university. Mm-hmm. And it was a completely different experience there. It really was because one man, the gentleman who ran the special ed department, mm-hmm. that ran me out of there. Well, yeah. his loss, our gain. Yeah, there you go. That's why I look <laughs> at it. Too. Can you tell us a little bit about a new curriculum called Unhushed? Unhushed is a sex ed curriculum that um, kind of fell into our laps. I think our health teacher was looking around and, and found it and brought it to the attention of our curriculum director. Mm-hmm. And then I got to see it too. And I think it was the first time, at least for me, that I ever became really passionate about a curriculum. Mm-hmm. Like I really felt like it addressed so many of the needs that all of our students have. And we've had some really good sex ed curriculum, but they just they just haven't really excited me and got me like, behind it. And so I really started championing it too, Mm -hmm. because I felt like it addressed all the things like, I keep coming back to this, but just the lessons Mm -hmm. in that curriculum on consent Mm -hmm. are, are beautifully done. And that is definitely 
um, a nationwide issue right now that we're yeah. talking about what what is consent and what does that what should that be looking like a few of us really got behind it and really got excited about it and somehow we we had enough people look at it and think yeah that's great that we got that passed by our board and I think it's a really good curriculum now every curriculum we use has to be adapted in right. some form mm -hmm. um, if, for the visual components or just because it doesn't meet our population's need exactly um, but this one is um, I don't know, it's really committed to that. I know the authors are working on a way to adapt it for students with intellectual disabilities. Mm. And they're working on an elementary version of it. They've just finished the high school version. Wow. And um, so it's going to be all-encompassing, and I'm really, really happy about that. So do you think the biggest challenges of presenting a sex ed curriculum is the adapting part for our students? Or do you think there's other challenges that are more so? I think we've been dealing with adapting everything for so long that yeah. I think we're we're really kind of used to that and we, we just keep trying new things and I think everyone's committed to it. I think the harder part is that sometimes people, staff or families get really nervous when we talk about sex ed. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think families don't know how to approach it and they're just happy that we're willing to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're very willing to keep them as informed as they want to be about it. Mm -hmm. uh, they can look through the curriculum. What we've started to do, just barely started to do, is to create an online sort of orientation for families oh. to the curriculum where they can meet the instructors, they can take a look at the scope and sequence of the curriculum. Uh, not every student is going to get the full scope and sequence because of time or need, but they're going to get kind of that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. hopefully we'll do a couple lessons on that video so they'll be able to see this is kind of what some of the lessons are like. Yeah. And um, so that they really have an opportunity to, to know it hmm. like we would like them to. When they register at the beginning of the school year, they sign a form that's yes, no, or call me first about okay. sex ed. Okay. And so we always call everybody anyway and say, hey, we're going to start this sex ed. You said yes, we're going to do it. Or you had some questions. We're mm -hmm. here to answer your questions. And um, really, we are pretty committed to everybody who teaches it, it to when you have a question about things, students, mm -hmm. these are the people you can talk to about it. Your parents, mm -hmm. your religious leaders, like your community. Part of the curriculum is also about community. Like, what yeah. does your community say about this hot topic? Mm. What does your family say about this hot topic? And what is your experience with it? So we can use that to talk about it in a way that I think is super respectful mm -hmm. of families and communities. And, um, you know, once we tell families that, I, I think they're right on board with it. Yeah, I, I love that idea of yeah. having them sort of do those uh, self-check-ins with the, the people that are important in their life and mm -hmm. making it more of a, a global conversation instead right. of just student-centric or school-centric. And they don't live in isolation. Right. So they live in their community. They live in their family, which may be very different from their own views. I mean, my own teenagers yeah. are kind of like that. But um, but that's okay because you come from somewhere yeah. and you're always going to have that with you. So we're all pretty committed to that. Do you feel like there's a pretty open culture here where kids go to the right people when they have those kind of questions or if they're directed to yourself mm -hmm. to ask a question, do kids usually follow through with that? Do they feel like it's a safe space to sort of branch out? I think that most of our students feel like they have trusted adults here on campus. Okay. And that might be their counselor, because that's one of my roles, but it might be a residential instructor or a teacher that they've really clicked with. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that we have that here. That's part of the reason our students love being here. Yeah. Um, but this topic, I think, sex ed is a little bit different because, like, I've had training as a social worker, mm -hmm. master's level social worker, to put your own stuff aside. Yeah. 
um, and be able to just address the issue with with the student. And not everybody's had that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that teachers get as much training on that as social workers do. Yeah. And so sometimes we bring our own baggage. And if that's the case, then maybe you're not the best person for that student to be discussing that with. Yeah. But there are other people trained here on campus to do that. And we're uh, we're definitely getting there. I've noticed just, you know, reading notes about things that go on around campus. Like sometimes when these challenging sex ed topics come up, I, I see in the notes, you know, referred to (laughs) social worker or counselor, which I think is just important. It's important for staff to recognize that they might not be the best person Uh and also important for the students to build that relationship with the right people so Mm -hmm. that as they tackle this stuff, I mean, right being a teenager nobody that's that's just rough yeah in general <laughs> nobody should have to go through that <laughs> you just, you just got to yeah <laughs> all right so i think that you and some other staff presented on this topic at texas aer that's right in march so why do you think it's important to share this with other professionals well i think especially with the professionals in our field and usually or mostly in that audience it was tvis from across the state right that they you know, they see this need. They know that our students aren't sitting in a health class or whatever class and and getting all this information, but they don't really know how to go about addressing it, teaching it. And so part of that presentation was, this is the way you can approach it with your supervision and, um, you know, you don't have to pick our cur- the curriculum we like, mm-hmm. but to pick something, and this is how we championed it, and this is how you can do kind of the same thing. And I think they were super excited about it because um, we were answering real-world questions about, you know, I have one, I have one blind kid, and uh, how do I do a class like this for one kid? You know, they don't have anybody to really talk about that with them, and we got that chance to have that dialogue. Mm-hmm. It was really important because what I'm hoping is that all over the state, people are thinking more about it and pushing ahead to teach this topic. I, th- I know that there are some like models that go along with the curriculum. The model that we had for years uh-huh. was not very good. You, it had like metal joints. It had two left hands. Um, <laughs> the body parts Velcroed on and off so you could change okay. its sex. And so we we got these models that we have now donated to mm-hmm. us. And they're maybe they're a little they're a little more over the top than the other ones, way more realistic. Sometimes you just gotta well, it's, I mean, check it's, it out. Yeah, it's tough to find resources, <laughs> yeah. especially in this arena. So yeah. that's helpful. Pictures are bad enough for people, I but know. you know, no, there's a model, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that with our students, there's a lot of topics people are nervous to embrace because they, they know that they can't just like go through a textbook and show some pictures mm-hmm. and point some things out that, you know, it requires some tangible, tactile teaching. Right. And whether it's, you know, a tough science curriculum or mm-hmm. social studies or whatever, or sex ed, it's, you don't always know what to do. And so I'm personally, as a younger teacher, I would just sort of like, eh, maybe we'll get to that next year. <laughs> just right. pushed it off. But uh, as the kids get older, it becomes evident that that's not, that's not yeah. an okay choice. Uh, well, I know that our special programs department does like a week-long sex ed Mm -hmm. so that they do get referrals from across the state. And kids come here and they take that sex ed because we do have a lot of equipment here too that helps us teach these concepts. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really nice that those people are also trained on this curriculum. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment 
may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Because many students in Texas who are blind or visually impaired need a supplemental health education, we offer a health and well-being course through our short-term programs, and one of their instructors, John Rose, is going to tell us about it. We offer a class called Health and Well-Being for grades 5 through 7 that's focused on keeping the body healthy, developing and maintaining good relationships sexuality, physical components and processes of the body related to sexuality, protecting oneself from sexual harm, and how to be a good self-advocate. Some people ask why students may want to attend this class. Well, many students actually don't want to attend this class. It's an uncomfortable topic that we cover in a very short amount of time, and many of them have shared that they felt like they were signed up for the class by their family or by their teacher, which is good for families and teachers because the students are able to talk about this subject in a safe environment. However, the primary reason that students may want to attend is that they get to spend a weekend with peers who have visual impairments and are likely dealing with similar issues in school and in life. In addition, there may be many sexuality myths that they've heard about from peers or the internet that can quickly be resolved in facilitated conversations. In addition, we incorporate technology in ways that may be relevant to students, such as lessons on popular culture, movies, and social media. Talking about concepts related to sexuality is challenging for parents, for teachers, for students, yet instruction on these issues is essential for learners with visual impairments. They may not be aware of physical concepts, social cues, or body language. So they may be missing information needed to keep them informed and safe. Our focus in the class is to design an emotionally safe space for students that accounts for group dynamics and allows for appropriate humor. Facilitators are trained in trauma-informed instruction and in providing accommodations for special needs. The class takes place from April 13th through 17th, 2020. Referrals are due by February 17th. TVIs can make a referral through our department's website tsbvi.edu forward slash short hyphen term hyphen programs. There's a link on that page for our 2019-2020 school year referrals. We send out parent letters with information about the class and you know, letting them know that they can contact us with any questions that they have. It tells them about the curriculum. They have to sign off, you know, yes, it's okay, no, in which case, <laughs> probably not good for them to come, or uh, yes, but please call me, I have some questions. And we've never had any parents say, please call me that, that I have questions. It seems to be something that they really, they understand that there's a need and that they want somebody else <laughs> to to do that. It was
was something that we got into because of the need, and it's something that we've developed, you know, within the course of four or five years that we've taught the class. If anybody's out there who wants to develop better tactile graphics, the, the APH Tactile Graphic Anatomy book is good, but it's just not great. You know, it does, it's, it's as good as it can be, I think. And that is, I think, something that's really challenging. We have talked a little bit about 3D printing, using 3D printing for this, because it can create cross-sections and their life size. So you could create cross-sections of internal organs, which would be awesome. Yeah. I think that would probably be ideal of topics that can be challenging to address with our students and our own children. This one often rises to the top. It's important that we're always collaborating with families and with our student support networks, and also connecting those tough questions from children with the right professionals, ensuring above all else that we aren't skipping anything for our students just because it might be a challenge. If you're a parent or educator unsure how to cover this stuff, please reach out, we've got your back. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time as you come along for year two. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.